invite you to join me in Mark's Gospel and the 8th chapter this morning. Mark 8. Uh, for those of us who have all five senses working well or kind of fairly well, uh, functioning mostly, it's hard to imagine what life would be like if all of a sudden we were to uh, lose one of those five senses. Can you imagine what it would be like, for example, to be blind? You've seen your whole life and then maybe one day you get in some accident at work and get chemicals in your eyes and all of a sudden you cannot see. When I was in elementary school, uh, my dad had installed these really awesome uh, darkening shades on my bedroom windows. And on a few occasions, I had this problem of sleepwalking when I was young. And uh, what would happen is I would wake up uh, kind of unconsciously still and I would start walking around. And I would do that in my room at times, just kind of meandering through the dark. And the more that uh, my, my feet walked and the more that I moved, eventually I would kind of start to wake up. And having woken up all of a sudden, I would be extremely frustrated because I had no idea where I was at. It was sort of this feeling over this, and, or feeling this, feeling that, tripping over that. Where is the doorknob? Where is the light switch? I cannot find it. And it used to make me very, very upset as a young child. I couldn't see anything, and it, I might as well have been blind in those moments. The Bible tells us or teaches us that every single person has a problem. And that problem could be summarized in one way as blindness. Uh, it's not physical blindness where you literally cannot see, but it's like that. It's spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness is a universal problem that plagues every single person that is ever born. We're going to look at a passage today that addresses that concern and it describes this problem of spiritual blindness in, in different ways. In fact, God's going to give us a few different pictures of it. Spiritual blindness is equivalent to having a hard heart of unbelief. It could also be described as having eyes that don't see. That's what we think of with blindness. Or ears that don't hear. And other images like that. But it's a universal ailment. And so we ask, okay, well, what is the remedy? If we all have this problem, what's the answer to it? And the Bible would teach that Jesus is the answer to it. In fact, the Bible describes Jesus as light, as the light of the world, that people could be uh, engulfed in darkness, and then all of a sudden they could see in the light of Jesus. What does Jesus want of you? Well, he wants you to see him, and he wants you to see him perfectly for exactly who he is, to see and really, truly see and it is that focus that Mark chapter 8, verses 11 to 21 draws our attention to. So uh, follow along as I read, beginning in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they, speaking of the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only lo one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? We see in this passage two, two groups of people who experience spiritual blindness. And so we want to talk about both of those groups for a moment here this morning. <clears throat> the first group is the opponents of Jesus. Opponents of Jesus are plagued by spiritual blindness. In verses 11 to 13, the Pharisees show up yet again, and what do they do? They do what they've done all throughout the Gospel of Mark. They start antagonizing Jesus. And essentially, they demand that Jesus prove the source of his authority and of his power. And the end of verse 11 indicates their purpose in all of this. What is it that these guys really want? What are they actually trying to do? Well, the end of verse 11 indicates that their purpose was to test him. That's why they're going into this conversation. Their purpose is not to um, understand something better. Their purpose is not to get a better grasp on who Jesus is and understand him. No, no, no. None of that. They're there to test him. They're not looking to be convinced. In fact, they've already made up their minds about Jesus. They are plagued with spiritual blindness and hardness of heart. There are men standing there absolutely refusing what's right in front of their eyes. And maybe as you sit here this morning, you could actually be right there with them. And you might even sit there and go, yeah, that's definitely me. And you're not ashamed of that or anything. You're like, yep, that is me. I, Jesus, I'm not interested. He, he's got nothing for me. I, he, he can do nothing for me. I don't want him. Maybe that's you. Well, let's just keep looking at what's going on in this situation In this situation, spiritual blindness always demands more evidence. I need more. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. The the Pharisees are demanding that Jesus basically provide some kind of supernatural sign that would directly come from God as evidence of trustworthiness. It's about trust. These men do not trust, or we might say these men do not believe that Jesus has been sent from God. And really, their demand for a sign, that in and of itself is an expression of unbelief and their hardness of heart. Give us more. Give us more. Hardened hearts always do that. They demand more evidence. No, I need to see this, and I need to see that, and you can't prove it to me. You got to do all this. They are never satisfied with the evidence given because their minds, frankly, have already been made up and they don't want to believe. You cannot believe and you cannot see what you would not and do not want to see. And we see these men, they're just so hard and they're plagued by this spiritual blindness and darkness and and maybe that's you. You could be right there with them. Yeah, no, Mm mm-mm. We find in this text that what we see here, spiritual blindness always grieves the Lord. It's interesting how Jesus responds to the Pharisees' spiritual blindness and their hardness of heart and their deaf ears and their unbelief. 
Verse 12 says that he sighed. And, and then there's a modifier to what Jesus does there. He sighed, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. <clears throat> Jesus is deeply grieved. And just a simple observation, I think we could say that unbelief and hardness of heart, when people reject Jesus, unbelief always affects him. You go, oh, well, what happened? Did he get his feelings hurt? Oh, like, I think you're missing it. Unbelief always affects Jesus. He is grieving deeply in his spirit over these men. To what degree is he grieving? In Mark chapter 7, verse 34, if you look back probably just across the page in your Bible, we see in that verse, Mark 7, 34, uh, it says, And looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed. That's the same thing we just saw. And he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. What was going on there when Jesus sighed in that story? Well, Jesus is sighing in grief over a deaf man's physical condition. Jesus is grieving for this man who is physically suffering. But in Mark chapter 8, verse 12, our passage today, we read that Jesus sighed, but there's this modifier, he sighed deeply over the religious man's spiritual blindness. His grief is deeper here in this story than the one we, that, that I just referred back to. Nothing grieves Jesus like unbelief. He is deeply grieved, and it's not that he got his feelings hurt. He is grieving for these men in their hardness of heart and their darkness. And perhaps you're right there with them, and your response, your rejection of Jesus, it is deeply grieving him. But he's not, oh, you hurt my feelings. How could you reject me? It's, no, I am grieving for you. When what we see next in this story is not only sad, it's, frankly, it is horrifying. Spiritual blindness always leads to more darkness. The darkness gets darker. It gets worse. The blind men, if, if we could put it this way, become even more blind. The darkness that's there becomes even thicker. Spiritual blindness always progresses down a path. It's kind of like happening on a spectrum. Maybe we could think of it that way. It's a condition that either gets worse or gets better. It progresses and it progresses until eventually a person is permanently, eternally blind. A year ago or so, an eye doctor diagnosed my father-in-law with something called macular degeneration. You may be familiar with that disease. Maybe some of you have it. It's a disease that affects a person's central vision, and as the name implies, it's degenerative. It gets worse and worse over time. A person's vision declines, and it declines, and it declines, and it declines until eventually, potentially, one day, that person is completely blind. And that's the kind of thing that we see next in these verses. Look back at verses 12 and 13, and I want you to just look for this idea of the darkness getting even thicker. Verses 12 and 13. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them got into the boat again, and went to the other side. The message of Jesus was self-authenticating. Jesus had given truth after truth 
after truth, revelation after another piece of revelation after another piece of revelation. No additional sign was, was needed, and Jesus now makes this dogmatic assertion to these men. No sign will be given to your generation. And then he got into the boat, and he left. Jesus, as an act of judgment, he judicially leaves these men and their darkness, and that darkness is just going to set in more and more and more. Their darkness, their blindness is now worse than ever. And you think about it, if you reject the evidence that's right in front of you, why would you be given more? The Pharisees were spiritually blind and they did not want the light that had already been offered to them. No, we're not going to take that. And maybe, just maybe, you are in a very similar situation. You could be right there with the Pharisees basically descending down further and further and further into more darkness. And your heart is becoming harder and harder and harder. And it's like a piece of bread if you leave it out on the counter. I mean, it just becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. And that's these men. And maybe every day that goes on, you are a little bit harder toward Jesus than the day before. <clears throat> this last Monday, I'd started my work week. And Monday morning or Monday afternoon, something like that, I, I opened this text and I started working on it and studying it, trying to understand it. And as I was in the middle of that, my phone rang. A man was calling our church and he said, I have a question um, about the Bible. I was looking at your website. I was looking at your statement of faith. And I have a question about what I saw there. And I'm just wondering if you or another pastor might be able to answer my question for me. And I said, oh, yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to try to do that. Uh, what's your question? And he essentially asked if I and our church believed in the Trinity. And if so, how that belief could reconcile with, I think it was John 17, 3, that he was specifically asking about. And I said, oh, absolutely. We are Trinitarian. We believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that they are all God, and that they are one. And I began to answer him, uh, keep going there in my response, that I didn't think that John 17 and the verse that he was bringing up, that, that that belief there and belief in the Trinity were mutually exclusive. And then I took him to Acts chapter 5 to provide an example for him where the Holy Spirit is specifically referred to as God. And after I did that, he immediately interrupted me and said, okay, turn over to this other passage and read it out loud. And at that point I thought, oh, I don't think this is the conversation I thought we were having. And I read it out loud, and he goes, see, you're wrong. And it was at that point, really, that I realized, you know, this man is not calling me with a question. Trying to learn and understand something about God and the Bible. This man's mind is already very much set. He's actually looking for an argument or something. I'm not even sure. But there's no passage of Scripture that I can turn to and open before this man where he's going to be listening and hearing. There's no verse that I can show him that's going to convince him of anything. At this point, honestly, I need to figure out how to graciously end this conversation and go back to something that, pre preparing my sermon for Sunday for people who want to hear it and who want to respond to God's Word. And so I asked this man, uh, if he was a part of a church or a particular denomination or what actually, what's the purpose of your call here today? 
And at that point, he told me that he was a Jehovah's Witness. And then he spent the next 15 or 20 minutes trying to argue with me. I was hardly saying anything, just trying to be gracious. He repeatedly told me how stupid I was, told me that I was a kid. Thank you. I like to feel young. Um, And that I was an occult and all kinds of things. And eventually I... I was like, this just needs to end. I, I don't want to hang up on him. That's not going to be good. Like, I just want to graciously bring this to an end. And so eventually I said to him, sir, I honestly, I don't, I don't care how many times you call me or my views about Jesus and the triune God stupid. I don't care how many times you call me a kid. I'm not hurt. I'm not even offended. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he has always forever been God, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again to save me from my sins. All of my hope is in Jesus. And I will not move, and in fact, I categorically deny what you assert. And at that point, he hung up the phone, and I went back to looking at this text. And as I read it, I just realize, you know, this conversation that I just had with this man, it's almost like exactly what we're reading about in this text. I could have opened the scriptures to this man. I could have said, why don't we go over here? Like, look at this. This is awesome. Let me show you this about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God's work throughout history to redeem a people as a free gift. I could, have, I could have given him the light of the gospel. I could have shown him the glories of the gospel of the triune God, but there were no ears to hear that even for a moment. And that's what Jesus is describing here. Opponents of Jesus are plagued by spiritual blindness. And maybe for you here this morning, you feel hard towards Jesus. You want nothing to do with him. You're just waiting. Convince me. Jesus is grieving for you in love. And maybe he would mock at that, but Jesus really loves you. And he wants you to see him perfectly for who he is. And I just want to ask you this. Okay, maybe you've made up your mind and you can't be convinced or this, that, or the other. Here's what I would challenge you to do, almost as a dare. Why don't you just, okay, everything that you've ever heard spiritually or in your belief system, what if you could just set that aside for a moment and you just open up this book and you just read it all the way from Genesis to the end just for what this book says? What if you're wrong about Jesus? What if you're wrong about your entire framework about the world and how a person can uh, enter heaven someday? What if you're wrong about your own neediness and your own desperate condition? I challenge you, open up the Bible and just read it. Read it from cover to cover and just see if God's word speaks to you. Some people descend further and further into spiritual darkness like what we see happening with the Pharisees and that's not God's desire for anyone. Well, on the flip side of that, others, we might say, actually enter more and more light like the disciples Their vision actually progressively improves, even though that improvement, as we will see, is slow. In fact, it's painful, even problematic how slow it is. But little bit by little bit, the disciples are starting to see Jesus more and more and more for who he actually is. You've probably played with a dimmer switch before, uh, and you can adjust the lighting in a room. You can raise it or you can lower it. Kind of cool, kind of fun. 
Or maybe you've been hunting, and if you like to hunt, you often hunt at sunrise and sunset. And at sunrise, it starts out dark, and you wonder if you're seeing something on the edge of the woods over there, but you really can't tell. It's probably like 12 moose over there. Like this, when the sun rises, it's going to be awesome. The sun rises, you realize it's just a clump of bushes. But the light comes, and you can see better. Or in the evening, the sun starts to set, and you, you can't make things out anymore. You know what it's like for light to increase and decrease, and that's the idea here. For the Pharisees, what we see in their life, it's like sunset. It's getting darker and darker and darker. They can't see anything. For the disciples, what we see happening in their life, it's like sunrise. It's getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And as the sun rises and there's more and more light, they're beginning to make things out on the horizon. They're beginning to see Jesus for who he is. For the disciples, that is slow and painful, but it's happening And at this point in the Gospel of Mark, we're almost seeing a major break because the disciples have essentially turned their back on their whole form of religion. The Jewish leaders stand over here in unbelief and hardness of heart and darkness and just categorically rejecting Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples stand over here with Jesus. They're, in fact, in the boat with Jesus. They're glad to be there. However, while the light increases for them, that doesn't mean that they see with 2020 vision. It's quite the opposite. I mean, it is slow and it is painful, their growth. And so we turn our attention now to a second group of people who experience spiritual blindness, and that's the followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from spiritual blindness. You know, you can be a follower of Jesus and still view Jesus through a certain lens of unbelief. You can see, and like actually see, but not see fully. You can see, but not see clearly. You can see, but not really see. You can possess saving faith, and you can simultaneously struggle with practical faith in all the everyday matters of life. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from spiritual blindness and, and forms of unbelief that would set, uh, set in in their hearts and in their lives. And so Jesus sets out to warn his disciples about this. And his first warning, it it comes something like this. Jesus tells his people that spiritual blindness is highly contagious. Look at verses 14 and 15. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. Okay, so they've hopped on a boat to go to the other side. And they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So Mark sets the stage for us. They're in the boat. They only have one loaf of bread. And Jesus starts talking about something in bread, leaven. Uh, You're probably familiar with yeast and how yeast works. Yeast is basically leaven that ferments, causing dough to rise. And so Jesus says to his disciples, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay. Not sure I'm tracking there. What did Herod and the Pharisees negatively have in common that pervasively spread through their lives and possibly even to the lives of others? Uh, I don't know. What's the leaven Jesus is talking about? Thanks to the disciples, we're left wondering about that. 
because Jesus puts that statement on the table and then they change the subject. However, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 12, and Luke chapter 12, verse 1, parallel accounts to the same uh, story, Jesus connects the leaven to the Pharisees' teaching and to their hypocrisy, both of which pointed to their spiritual blindness, hardness of hearts, and unbelief. Uh, this ca- account also mentions the leaven of Herod. He had it, Herod. He had it too. So in the context here, it seems like Jesus is referring to their spiritual unbelief. For Herod and the Pharisees, their unbelief, their spiritual blindness could be described like leaven. It was growing like expanding dough, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Their unbelief grew and grew and grew. And Jesus seems to be warning here against a gradual increase in unbelief that that this could take root in a heart and expand. I mean, just pervasively permeate your life. Yes, spiritual blindness or unbelief is contagious and it does spread from person to person, but it seems like what Jesus is warning against here is the fact that it's actually contagious and spreads within a person, within you. That's what Jesus seems to be warning about. He's warning his followers to beware of a corrupting influence, the gradual increase of unbelief in their lives. You think about the sun. From a human perspective, standing here on earth, you don't see the sun stand still in the sky. And just like the sun doesn't stand still in the sky, neither does belief or unbelief. That's just not how it works. It's either rising or falling. The sun is either rising or it is setting. The light and visibility are increasing or they are decreasing. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Beware of the rapidly expanding leaven of unbelief in your life toward God and his word. You watch out for, for an attitude that, or a heart that would suddenly become hard to me or my word or what I'm saying to you or what I'm trying to reveal to you. That hardness will not just be in one little place in your life. It will start here and it will go everywhere. Over the last few years, people all over the world took drastic measures to avoid coming in contact with a virus. Uh, most of us witnessed a vigilance unlike anything we had ever seen before in our lives. Like, what, what, what is going on? <laughs> what just happened? And regardless of what your position was on all of that, I think we would all agree that extreme measures were being taken to counteract what was going on. And Jesus is telling you that there is something that you have to watch out for and beware of and be vigilant against. I mean, you have to take extreme measures so that this does not permeate your life. It's unbelief, spiritual heart blindness, hardness of heart, whatever you want to call it, it will kill you. Spiritual blindness is highly contagious and pervasive, and things can go south in your Christian life so fast. Uh, things are going well, and then just dive bombing down. You can end up in a bad place so fast. And so Jesus is warning, you need to guard against unbelief taking over in your life. Okay, well, I mean, I agree. I mean, that sounds bad. And I probably have that problem. What do I do about it? Well, for starters, uh, if, if you take the Pharisees, they start from a position of, I will not believe and I do not want to see. What if you could flip that? God, I, I do want to see. 
I do want to see you for who you are. I do want to understand your word. I want to know you. I want to see you better. One of the ways, oh, I think for starters, you need to learn to recognize when this, this hardness of heart is happening and the real threat that it is. And one of the ways that you can counter it and prevent it is simply by sincerely, humbly seeking to see and understand the Lord. Uh, consider this verse from Psalm 119, verse 18. The psalmist prays like this. He says to God, God, open my eyes that I may behold, that I may see wondrous things out of your law. It's the exact opposite thing that we see with the Pharisees. Prove it. Show me something. I dare you. I'm not going to see it. Versus this attitude of God, I, I need to see you and I want to see you. I want to understand you better. God, would you show me your glory? Would you help me to see you clearly? Please help me to catch myself when I'm not walking by faith and taking your word at face value. Please help me to notice when, I, when there's hardness in my heart that's like, I know God said that, but I don't care. In the next verse, we discover something else about spiritual blindness. It's preoccupied, at least many times, with material issues. Look at verse 16. And they, the disciples, began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus says, hey, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Hey, guys, what's for lunch? <laughs> Jesus made this massive statement, and the disciples are aloof and asking, hey, what are we going to eat for lunch? Did anybody bring it? You mean we just, Jesus just fed all these people, and there were all these baskets of bread, and we brought one loaf? Oh, what are we going to do? And you just go, really? Oh. But that's what happens in life, right? The bills the house, the mortgage, the job, all the material issues of life that aren't inherently bad. They're just there and they're real. And they can quickly consume and preoccupy you and take over. And you can become consumed with those things and not actually in those moments be seeing or hearing anything that Jesus is trying to show you. And this is so common for, for the followers of Jesus. Jesus wants to show and teach you things about himself through his word and through all the events of life. He's actively working to do that. Are you opening up the word of God regularly and asking Jesus to un unveil himself to you? Hey, Jesus, speak and I'm listening. Or is it, well, I mean, I would love to listen, but uh, what's for lunch? Oh, my job, the kids, my family, and uh, this, that, and the other. And Jesus and his words, they just get crowded out. And it's all, all that's happening, it's all tied together with this hardness of heart. I think that's one of the ways that it begins to set in. Have you become overly preoccupied with everything else? And again, not that those things are bad, but they're crowding out Jesus. And are you slowing down and asking God to help you learn what he's trying to teach you from life's circumstances God is going to provide you with endless learning opportunities, but you have to be tuned in. I mean, these guys, these 12 men, learning opportunity after learning opportunity after learning opportunity after learning opportunity. Uh, revelation after revelation after revelation. But we're seeing the, these guys are not always tuned in. You think about tuning in to a radio station or back in the days before 
MP3 players and all that and everything being on our phones. I had an FM transmitter in my car that I could uh, transmit something from a CD player through my radio. But I had to get the station in my car and on the FM transmitter lined up so that anything would go through there. And anything could be heard. And I think sometimes in our Christian life, I mean, there, there's all kinds of content there to be had. There's all kinds of revelation there to, to see. But we're just checked out. We are not tuned in. Are you thinking through the events of your life and, and asking questions like this? Okay, God, I, I maybe would or wouldn't have chosen this. You've just done this or that happened or I read this. What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? What do you want to reveal to me about you? God, would you help me to get it? What is it you're trying to show me? You don't want to miss what God is trying to reveal to you about himself. And Maybe you sit here and you need to repent right now and just say, God, please forgive me. I've just become so consumed with all kinds of things. And your voice and the revelation of yourself and your word, it's just getting crowded out. Please forgive me. And will you help me? And he will. He'll forgive and he will help. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from spiritual blindness. And what we see as well about spiritual blindness is that it's often forgetful. Look at verses 17 uh, to 20. And Jesus, aware of this, the conversation that they were having, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Right in the rear view mirror, the disciples, if they would have chosen to, could have looked back to two separate occasions where Jesus had powerfully met the needs of thousands of people. He had miraculously, compassionately, powerfully fed thousands of hungry people. And these guys are sitting in the boat, like not tuned into what Jesus is doing, and they're concerned about their next meal. They forgot so quickly. What's the interplay between faith and forgetfulness? These things, they do connect or intersect in some way. God wants you to look forward in life at at what's coming, what's in the present and what's coming, actually by looking back. God's faithfulness in the past encourages faith in the present. And just like with the disciples, Jesus wants you to regularly, hey, look back up in that rearview mirror. It's a good thing. There's a reason you have one in your car, so that you can see what's behind you. And there's a reason that I've placed this whole track record in your past, so that you could look at it and you could be reminded of who I am. Jesus wants you to look in the rearview mirror, and maybe one of the best things that you could do right now is sit down and and do that for a while, and bullet point in your mind or on paper some of the things that you've seen God do in the past and the takeaways for the present. Okay, in the past, I saw Jesus like this. He revealed this thing about himself to me or that thing. And all those same things are true today. Often we struggle just like the disciples did. God's powerfully provided in the past. He's done this, he's done that, but we struggle with today. And in fact, we think it's it's almost like Jesus isn't even there in the boat. 
don't forget that Jesus is right there with you and he's more than capable of meeting your needs. The disciples certainly are not seeing 2020 yet. They are spiritually blind to so much about Jesus. They are not seeing him perfectly for who he is. Their faith, it's feeble. It's weak. It's floundering. But this text hints that that can change for these men. This text hints that that can change for you and that there's hope. Why? Because Jesus is always at work to open the eyes of of his followers and grow their faith. Spiritual blindness is curable by Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. Uh, For example, at the end of verse 17, if you look down there, uh, it sounds pretty much like a rebuke, and that's because it is. But Jesus says, do you not yet perceive or understand? Just draw your attention to that word, yet. And then at the end of verse 21, he says something similar. Do you not yet understand? He's obviously implying that after all that he had done and revealed to these men, they should have been further along. Their sight, their vision, their, all of that should have been much better than what it was. Like you and me, they were slow learners, and they needed to tune in. And you look at yourself and you go, yeah, that, that's pretty much me. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I should be a lot further along than I am, but I'm not. Up to this point, though, what, what all this highlights is that Jesus has actively and intensely invested himself in opening their eyes. He's saying, man, I, I have poured myself into revealing myself to you. I have given you opportunity after opportunity. And I just want to highlight, Jesus is actively invested in their sight. In fact, so much so that Jesus is about to, as we continue working through Mark, he is going to terminate his public ministry in Galilee, what he's been up to thus far. And he is going to focus on these 12 men. And it won't be long, really, just next Sunday, we'll see that uh, Peter stands basically with his eyes wide open, at least we think, at first. And he confesses of Jesus, you, I see, you are the Christ. You are God. You are the Messiah. I see it. And in the very next paragraph, we'll see that, yes, he had seen that, but yet there was still so much that he wasn't seeing, and he didn't understand about who Jesus was and his mission. You may be a very slow learner, but your spiritual blindness and poor vision are curable by Jesus. Do you realize that right now, this very moment, Jesus is actively working and he is investing in your vision of him? And he will not stop working like that until you stand before him face to face, literally in his presence, and you see him exactly for who he is. He's committed to that, and he promised the work that I began in you, I'm going to bring that to completion. You will see me. A few months ago, I went to the eye doctor. I think it had been like 10 years. It was about time. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so bad. Thankfully, it was good. But I went to the eye doctor, and she pulled this contraption in front of my eyes, and she started flipping through the lenses of all these various prescriptions. And as she flipped through them, it was, I mean, blurry. Like, I have no, wow, like that's painful. Blurry, 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 blurry. Ooh, a little bit less blurry, a little bit less blurry, a little bit less, and then boom. Ooh, I can see. And now I can see crystal clear. I can see it. And that is what Jesus is doing. He wants you to see him better and better and better and better. And he's actively invested in that. He wants you to see him. 
He's invested. He's working. And on the flip side, he wants you to engage and say, I'm going to do that same thing. Jesus, I want to see you. I want to understand your word. I want to have a tender heart to you and your word. And as you speak, followers of Jesus are not exempt from spiritual blindness. And if that's you, you're a follower of Jesus. He wants you to see him perfectly for who he is. Which direction is that going? Is, a, is hardness of heart setting in and you're becoming callous to God and his word? Or is it the flip side, Jesus, show me your glory. Help me to understand. Which direction are things moving right now? Jesus wants you to see him perfectly. And I hope and pray that we will all do that. We will grow in that together. I want you to bow your heads at this time.